Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of Banking on Experience. We're really excited about this episode. We actually have two guests and we're going to get emotional today. So stay tuned on what we're going to be talking about because you're going to enjoy it. Thank you for everybody for joining. If you don't subscribe to our podcast, please do that. We'd love to get your feedback. Give us a review. Um, follow us. If you're a banker, credit union, this is the place to, to listen. We, we have so many great folks on here. And today we're joined by Anson Vyong and Jennifer, who happen to be at Gallup. Welcome to the podcast. Hello. Thank- nice to be here. Thanks for having us. So I got to ask you guys a random question. What'd you have for breakfast today? <laughs> I, I, I'm not a big breakfast person. I'll, I had a cup of coffee. That's what I had. I like but it. Being on the West Coast, I was up pretty early. So that's usually my breakfast. What about you, Jennifer? I haven't had breakfast since second grade. So <laughs> I don't know. Cereal, maybe? <laughs> you know, it's, my wife gets on me a lot for not eating breakfast very much. And I have to tell her, I'm like, look, I'm not the only one out there that doesn't eat it. Oh. <laughs> Uh, well, well, awesome. Like, tell us a little bit about who, who you guys are. If you haven't heard of Gallup, maybe give like a quick spill on who Gallup is too for, for the audience. Yeah. So uh, just quick thing on Gallup. Gallup's been around, as you guys know, uh, about 80 years. We're famous for our polling in terms of uh, understanding the thoughts and beliefs around uh, Americans in the world in general. Uh, but we also have a large arm in um, helping organizations perform better using their biggest assets, which are human beings. And so we work with a lot of organizations on how to optimize that and maximize that. And uh, also, I work specifically with financial institutions. Um, I'm one of Gallup's managing partners, and I oversee our North America. Awesome. Jennifer, give a quick introduction on who you are. I'm Jennifer Robison. I'm a senior editor at Gallup. I write a little bit about everything, but I'm fascinated with the financial services industry. So whenever Anson has an idea, I am right there. <laughs> when we, Jennifer, when we started talking, we, we were trying to figure out like what, what topic did we want to talk about? Because obviously mm-hmm. there's so many topics out there that we could be talking about. And I asked you a question. I just asked you, like, what's something you disagree with passionately that the rest of the industry believes? And um, talk to us about how we came up with this topic. And the topic is why banking is emotional and not transactional. Yeah. So it's, it, it's hard maybe to wrap your head around because the financial service industry, the finances in general are so tightly controlled and highly regulated and mathematical to the core. It almost seems like a science, but it's really not. Um, any any customer who walks into a bank is coming loaded with the most visceral, deep-seated emotional needs that they will have in their lives. The only profession, I would say, that is as meaningful to customers as bankers are, are doctors. So if you treat the products and services that you sell as um, products you pull off a shelf, you're missing a massive value source and underestimating the asset that you've got. And some of those assets are actually your customers and employees. Mm-hmm. I like this a lot because here's the thing. I have never heard anybody refer to uh, bankers as almost as close to a doctor as you would. And I actually 100% agree with you. When you think about 
the emotional side of our finances and how secret we want to try and keep that stuff. <laughs> it's, it's actually, uh, it's weird. When I go into uh, one of the banks or credit unions that I work with, um, with my own finances, and I go into that branch, I even find it weird and a little bit uh, uncomfortable that even the teller gets to see it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's right. It should I shouldn't feel uncomfortable, but I kind of do at times. And to give us um, your thoughts on the emotional side of this. Yeah. So, you know, Gallup studies a lot of, of how customers or members interact and why they would participate or choose certain institutions over others. And a lot of the rational factors that banks and credit unions, especially the smaller ones, focus on, or let's just call it a spade a spade, aren't the competitive factors that will beat bigger national banks out there. So things like uh, technology, things like convenience, things like brand awareness, and things like that are just not the key factors of choice, where a lot of the factors are actually much more emotionally driven. And you think about this industry being so homogenous in products and services and goods, the main market edge out there is can you build and establish an emotional connection with your customer or member or not? In our own studies, uh, one of our senior scientists, Daniel Kahneman, studied human decision-making. About 70% of decisions are made emotionally versus 30% rationally. Gosh, a lot of community banks and credit unions and banks in general spend a lot of time on the 30% and don't really spend a lot of time on the 70% um, where we where we see the market edge actually happening. I absolutely love what you just said because one of the things that I think, I mean, this is, this is true with community banks, this is true with credit unions, but they have a sense of like community in their own community and, and being able to, to serve those folks. I, I can't tell you how many stories I've heard from folks that work at credit unions where Somebody comes in and tells their whole life story before they do anything with them, right? And what's so interesting to me is how I'm a marketer, right? So bringing in a really good experience and making sure that it does touch on those emotional things. I mean, that's, that's what storytelling is about. It's about bringing out the emotion and it's about making sure that you have those touch points that exist with the members or the customers that aren't just about transactions and they are about the person. I got a story to tell you <laughs> that aligns really nicely to that. A year or so ago, I was interviewing an executive at a bank and we, I don't know, we happened to bring up college loans or I think our kid was going to college. And I said, you know, Gallup has done some research into um, college graduates and debt and their life evaluations. And she said, gosh, I wish I'd known that, you know, when I was selling college savings plans, it really would have helped. And I thought, yeah, you should have <laughs> because the, the effect people have, it, the effect you can have on a person when you talk about your kid will resent going to college if they come out $30,000 in debt is a whole different ballgame when you're talking about a college loan. That's how people should know, how they should feel, what they should know, and how you should approach customers as a trusted advisor with good advice. So. I call this kind of the emotional economy, right? And let's just say the emotional economy had a market line. The problem today for for community banks and credit unions specifically is they're actually losing their market share in the emotional economy today, right? And so if that major premise of a local community-based financial provider is over the past 10 years, the, the advantage of that share has gone down precipitously. 
So just back in 2014, the market advantage on a metric we call engagement, which is what is your emotional attachment as a customer to a financial organization, um, that market edge for community banks, credit unions were about plus 21%. Today, 2020, that's only 12%. And so a lot of these organizations, are a larger financial institutions are starting to bridge into this value proposition. Why? Because that's frankly where the competitive ground is today. And the big question I think that, that has to get raised for um, a lot of these institutions is why are they losing that share and how do they get that back um, going forward? Because um, they're not going to be able to win on the other rational factors as well as the bigger banks out there. Well, and on top of that, like they're not even going to be able to compete if they don't, right? So you've right. got to, you've really got to double down on this. And I would even say that it's become even more relevant dur during the pandemic. <laughs> and I, we, we, we've talked about this on so many episodes over the last couple of months. And the pandemic is, is forcing the hand of people being able to do this. Uh, they, they have to do it. It's not like, a oh yeah, this is a nice to have, or this is just something that like we're thinking about. You've got to do it and you got to execute on it right now. <laughs> and there's no time. There's no time left to to think about it. There's no time left to strategize about it. You've got to do it. And I think that there's a little, there, that shift of the mentality of like being doers of not just talking about this, but actually doing it, I think is something else. So talk, I, I know this wasn't something that we were going to, we were going to talk about, but talk to me a little bit about how people can do this, like uh, not just talk, but like, what, how can they do this? Well, I think we first, you have to get the, you got to ask yourself what your premise is first, right? And so Gallup has a saying that as, as a leader, you better get your premise right, because no matter how good of a leader you are, if your premise is wrong, the more you lead, the worse things get. And so we work with a lot of organizations on trying to define the right premise of victory. What is, what is your theory of victory out there? And a lot of banks and credit unions think their theory of victory is great service. That's the wrong theory of victory. Members and customers don't expect great service. I know that's controversial to say they just don't. You're not a hotel, you're a financial institution. They expect something more than great service. They expect what we find in our studies that you look out for your customers or members' financial well-being. But financial well-being is a word that gets thrown around a lot and it gets conflated with another term called financial health. In Gallup Science and Research, those two are very separate things. Financial health is about your money, Financial well-being is about your emotional relationship with money. And we see that a lot of service is based on trying to help with financial health. And there's a lot of studies out there that actually show that financial literacy and things like that actually make people feel worse, where the real, the real stickiness and emotion is actually on the financial well-being level. And so it's kind of, James, you know, why lotto winners uh, actually have higher financial health but lower financial well-being uh, statistically because their emotional relationship with money has changed. And if credit unions and banks can actually deal with mem the person behind the customer, the person behind the member on a financial well-being level, now that changes. That's, transform that's transformational in the experience and drives everything from share of wallet to uh, PFI to any other metric you look at that we've studied across financial institutions. Jennifer, what about you? I would say there's never been a better time to fix things. A bad economy brings people's emotional relationship to money even closer to the skin than it ever has been before. So I would my advice is to adopt Gallup's definition of financial well-being and hold it tight. And that's managing your economic 
life to reduce stress and increase security. Interestingly, we found that credit union members who are experiencing the most disruption from COVID-19 are also the least likely to say their credit union is looking out for them. And it may be possible that nobody could look out for you properly when you're sick or your husband is, or you've lost your job. But if you, if your customer tells you that she's being crushed under this, then you know you're, you're seeing a red flag and you need to step up. Analytics has found that there are three things people really need to walk out of a bank feeling or walk out of a transaction or experience feeling. One is increased peace of mind. The other is uh, increased hope. And the other is a decrease in unnecessary stress. So if you're looking out for people's emotional relationship to money through those three lenses, peace of mind, hope, and less stress, you're on the right track. And you guys got some good soundbites in this episode. This is awesome. <laughs> you know, throughout this pandemic, one of the things that banks and credit unions have done, I think, really, really well, which I, th- I think it somewhat aligns to what you guys are talking about, especially when it comes to financial wellness, right, uh, is we all know that a lot of people have lost their jobs, lost their homes. It's been a real struggle for so many in, in this, especially in the U.S. And I think one of the things they've done really good, really good job at is is provide an avenue where people can feel that emotional side of, hey, look, like this institution is really taking care of me. They gave me like a forbearance on a, on a mortgage or. Uh, you know, they gave me a PPP loan when maybe I shouldn't have been approved for it. And I think we're seeing that. We've seen it with the pandemic. But there's also, I think, another level to that, which it can't just be in crisis, right? Or when there's a problem. I think that it also has to continue to build a relationship long term so that it's not just crisis management. <laughs> and you, you, you either do it or they're not going to be there, right? Um, and I think that you're seeing this at some of the really, really big banks. You're seeing them get ahead of the curve, right? And it's not just about crisis management at that point for them. It's it's about really establishing that financial wellness long-term. And I think that that's something that the community banks and the credit unions can learn from the bigger guys, right? Is you got to get ahead of it and it, it can't just be crisis management. Tell me your thoughts on that. Yeah. Yeah, James, you know, we here's what how most banks and credit unions were similar during the crisis. Most of their scores around satisfaction and engagement went up during the let's I'm going to call it I'm going to break COVID up into two phases. One, I'm going to call it the onset of the pandemic in that March, April, May time frame. And then I'm going to just call it now in the settling in period where we've been over the last three, four months in the onset of the pandemic. You saw, to your point, James, financial institutions run towards their customers and members and do and help them essentially a lot with their emotional relation with money, with a lot of, to your point, forgiveness, um, deferments and all that kind of stuff. And we saw scores really skyrocket. But what we see is a complete dip and waning of that specific emotion over time, because as leaders they are starting to move forward in their business, but their members and customers still live day to day in the pandemic. And so the question is, how do you, to your point, keep the topic of 
the person behind the member or customer front and center on an ongoing basis to do that. And that's what we do at Gallup to help organizations keep that at the forefront of what that needs to look like. What we find today is most people, when we ask the question, what are you going to be worried about six to 12 months from today? Almost everything points back to cash flow. I worry about my cash flow. And if you could help me deal with that, that would be great. But here's the, here's the trick on that, James, is that you can handle that cash flow conversation in a very transactional way. You could say, hey, here's your options. Here, what's, here's what we can give you. Here's what we can't give you. The winners and losers of this ability of, the, of dealing with that substance of topic we find is that can you do that in a needs-based, future-focused way? And can you drive a quality conversation, to your point, around their emotions towards that? Um, it will make the biggest difference in terms of actually if you can translate that conversation to something more um, going forward. <laughs> yeah, well, I think what that is arriving at, what that's going to arrive at, is a relationship with a trusted advisor. Um, trusted advisors, yeah, will do crisis management, help you get out of an awful hole help you get a PPE loan. A trusted advisor will say, yeah, but do you really need the employees you've got? Can you keep them busy? Because you're going to have to pay the money back based on the number of people you employ. So if you're not sure about that, let's talk it through. That's how you get through a crisis. Later on, it's, yeah, you got three kids. Are you going to be able to put them all through college at the same time? Let's talk that through. How's that going to feel? What that's, what's that going to mean to you? But it all comes to, down to the relationship. I'm going to even go a level deeper, especially from, from the marketing side of things. And uh, you have this education that's happening with financial wellness throughout the customer's journey and the member's journey. I also think that there's touch points that credit unions and, and community banks, especially, they have more data than anyone. <laughs> like they just have so much information about us. And I just don't think it's really leveraged like it should be, even from a marketing perspective, even deeper than just financial wellness and education. But I'll give you an example. And I've talked about this quite often on our podcast, but I absolutely hate it. I get these emails from my financial institutions when it's my birthday. They're like, oh, 2% off <laughs> on a loan. Like, are you kidding me right now? Like, if I wanted a loan, I would have talked to you about a loan. Like, don't send me a birthday email or an anniversary email for being with you for 10 years and say, oh, yeah, we'll give you uh, the same rate that a new customer would get or a new member would get. Like, we have to think through, like, that's not how people operate now. And some of these fintech companies and the really big banks, they're not doing it that way. They don't send you a birthday email, say, hey, here, right, here's a new loan offer. It, their products are smarter. Um, and and can do that naturally. Like you've been with them for a long time. Fine. They don't they don't ask your permission. They drop your rate. Like they don't ask you to sign up for a new one. They just drop it. And I think that the future of what we're going to see with banking is more of that. We're going to see smarter products, um, smarter loans, and things that can do it on their own without like it's a it's a rewards system, you know. And I think what we need, we need to see a lot more of that from a lot of financial institutions. Insurance companies are pretty good at it. And I think it's predictive analytics. They can tell how a customer is going to react three years after they have a baby or 30. And they're able to get ahead of that. Well, banks have the same predictive analytics or ought to, or ought to find someone who can do it um, and provide the same sort of forward-looking 
advice and confidence-inspiring help. It sounds silly, but even during the holidays, regardless of whether you believe in Christmas or not, like during the holidays, like a lot of people are doing shopping, right? And it might sound silly, but rather than sending them like a holiday greeting e-gift card or e-gift or um, an e-card that says, hey, happy holidays, everybody knows people are struggling right now. So carve out a little bit of your budget and reward the members that have been there or the customers that have been there for a long time and, I, and send, send them an Amazon gift card instead of like a, a loan application form. I mean, those, those little tiny touches really matter and they make a big difference. And I don't, I don't see enough of that happening with financial institutions. And I, I, I'm hopeful that it does. I want to see more of it. Well, James, I think, I think, Banks and credit unions have a lot of data. I wouldn't say, I, call, I usually say they have a lot of uh, information. They're kind of information rich inside poor. And what I mean by that is they have a lot of data, but it's not really well cobbled together. And, but, and, and there's a lot of data gaps. So a lot of the data, even through surveys that they would get of their customers and member are not very insightful because it's really very self-serving data. Like, will you advocate for me? Will you buy more from me? Will you use me more? Will you participate with me more? But it doesn't actually talk about what they are getting information about what they need, where they feel like uh, they could perform better from that standpoint and, and be able to cobble that together in, in, in a data lake to actually drive those insights into the into the strategy and, and the operation operating plan of those specific financial institutions. It, 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 it's just, the, the data uh, we find a lot is just not there in terms of its cleanliness and its ability to actually be u- usable. That means they need to they need to talk to us. Then <laughs> I don't like to I don't like to promote our our product, but we do help with that a lot um, for what it's worth. So let's let's shift a little bit and talk about who's doing this the right way, or maybe not call it the right way, but who's doing this well uh, that you guys know of. Well, I mean, the harsh answer is not many people are doing it well. Uh, so when we ask, you know, uh, does your financial institution look out for your financial well-being, James, if they can answer a hell yes to that answer, they're all the way up into our 95th percentile in our database. But if they answer anything less than a hell yes, they're all the way in our ninth percentile. It's just a huge extreme. It's one of the most predictive drivers we've ever studied. And then you ask me, well, how many percent of customers or members actually agree with 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 banks? It's only twenty three percent of customers would actually agree their financial institution looks out for their financial well being. With credit unions, it's, it's it's higher, but less than half at forty six percent. And so, yeah, community banks and credit unions do on average better than any other financial institution out there. Community banks do it next best, but as an as an average industry, it's it's really poor as a whole. And a lot of that we draw back again to the premise conversation is, are you sure you're dealing with financial well-being? Are you dealing with financial health? And I'm not trying to poo-poo financial health. I think it's extremely important, but it's an incomplete equation towards service um, that we find as part of that. I'm going to actually um, give a little shout out to a company that I, I really like. Have you guys ever heard of Greenlight? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. So... Here's a company that is, is doing it really well. I'm going to give you guys a quick story. I have four kids. Uh, each one of them have a savings account. Each one of them have actually a checking account. But we signed the green light up for each one of our kids. Now, the institution that I currently use for my banking doesn't do any, any incentive program. Uh, 
So they're not like establishing that rapport with me at all. Okay. Well, on the back end, Greenlight is linked directly to their checking and their savings account. Each one of my kids, four of them, had a birthday over the last four months. All four of them happened. And rather than the financial institution doing something special, Greenlight added $5. It's small, but they added $5 every one of my kids' savings account. So here, here's the thing for all banks and credit unions listening. The fintech world is kicking your ass. They are kicking your ass. And they're doing it over you. So this is another example of why it's so important to do it now and not wait. Because I like that's just one example of one company that is already doing this stuff. And I absolutely loved it. I could not believe that it happened. I mean, I've already had great experiences with Greenlight. I already have. Like each one of my kids has a, we've been teaching them about finances. Um, and by the way, they're starting young, which is community banks and credit unions ultimate goal. Like, how do we get the younger generation, right? Well, it might be through partners like a green light, but you, get smarter with how you establish that relationship because there's companies out there that are doing this and they're going to do a lot more. <laughs> That's just my, my, my one example. Jennifer, I'd be curious. I'd be curious if you have any um, off the top of your head as well. Well, um, a couple of things. So th- a big reason I still bank with the bank that I started banking with in college is because they give dog treats to my dog. If I could get a better rate and a dog treat, I'd be gone. It wouldn't take much to woo me away. A milk bone. But I I will say this. um, I pay a lot of attention to the way people talk when I interview them, especially around disasters. And I've been hearing exactly what I expected to hear. Fear and worry and sadness. I heard that during the recession too. I'm actually having flashbacks. But every once in a while, I'll interview someone at a bank or a credit union, and I'll hear kind of excitement. Uh, the best way I can describe it is I'm, it's like they're telling me this is our time to shine. This is what we're here for. And when I hear that tone of excitement, I know that that's a bank or credit union that is reaching its customers in a very real way. It's stepping up the way it's supposed to. And the emotional reaction they're provoking is going to linger possibly forever. And it's a lot more powerful than a dog biscuit. Though I tell you, you can get, do an awful lot with a milk bone. <laughs> I, do, I totally agree with you. You guys are doing some really good framework in this episode. But if we had to narrow it down to maybe three things that people can start doing to bring that emotional side between the two of you, what are those three things? One, I would say establish a strategy of driving emotional attachment, that has to be a strategic pillar. That strategy should be around supporting a member's or a customer's financial well-being. Uh, again, financial well-being being defined as emotional relationship with money. And then taking action, proactive action with with your membership or your customer base to actually drive that would be the framework we would we would always use to drive the actual behaviors needed to the organization. But it starts with senior leadership. Is this a premise that you believe in? Is, or is it a slogan that you just come out and do? And so if it's more than that, then you're going to have to put it into play. Anything you want to add, Jennifer? Yeah, I would say that this uh, is a really great time to take a close look at your customer-facing employees. Crises always are. 
this one maybe more than most because people are literally separated, but especially as it applies to digitalization. It was a godsend to all of us during lockdown and banks have been trying so hard to move customers over to digital for such a long time. And there are some people who just won't go. Those people will move to digital if they are dealt with individually and perceptively. But that's true of all customers. All customers need to be dealt with as individuals and by someone with the perception to understand what they're hearing from the customer. So that means that every employee you've got, whether they see a customer or not, has a massive impact on the results you get from customers. So be real careful with the people you hire and the way you manage them. Like that. Both of you have brought a ton of expertise to this episode, and I'd, I'd love for the audience to know if they wanted to pick your brain a little bit more, how can they get a hold of you guys? Um, you can email uh, us directly, Hanson underscore Vong at Gallup.com. You can ping me on LinkedIn, and you can also go to www.gallup.com and fill out an inquiry. Perfect. Yeah, exactly what Anson said. And, you know, do ping me on LinkedIn. I love to hear the stories. I want to hear what it's like in the trenches. Thank you both so much for joining us. And again, Really quick, if you have not yet subscribed to our podcast, please do so. We'd love to hear from you. Even if you give us a one-star rating, I don't care. Like, we want that feedback. So please do that if you can. Uh, and again, you'll, you'll hear from us again next week. Thank you again, both of you, for joining us. Thanks, Jen.